All right, so we are going to continue talking about the dedication of the tabernacle and the priest. And in specifically, we have been discussing um, the dedication of the high priest. Moses got the tabernacle set up. He has everything in place. And he called Aaron and his sons and all of the children of Israel, all of the tribes of Israel, to the door of the tabernacle or the courtyard for the ceremony to dedicate the high priest. Now, does anybody remember what was the first step that, went, that they went through? What did Moses do to them? So you're referring back to those handouts now. <laughs> Scrambling. <laughs> so the first thing they did no, was to wash. They were publicly washed in front of the congregation of the Israelites. That was to cleanse them from their earthiness, to get rid of... Um, it was a ritual cleansing to signify getting rid of their uh, worldliness, their earthiness, the things that they pick up just in everyday life. What was the second step? We talked about that one last week. Yes, they were robed or clothed. Now, starting off with, with that first step, it applied to both, or to all the priests, to the high priest and, which was Aaron, and also his four sons. Then we went into the robing or the clothing that was just for Aaron, the high priest, where they put on all of his finery, everything that the people had made at God's command, at God's direction, at God's pattern, they clothed him with. Now, we talked about how we as Christians, we're washed. We have to literally take a bath because we're worldly. We have a sinful nature. And that we're washed, we went through scriptures that said we're washed by the blood and we're also washed by God's word. Um, we are also clothed. We went over garments last week that a Christian receives once they are in right relationship with God. That we have a garment of Salvation. We have robes of righteousness. We have garments of praise. We have the full armor of God. Uh, not only are there things that we are robed or clothed in or it is put on, but there's also behaviors and attitudes, remember? Humility, humbleness, meekness, kindness, forgiveness, lots of things like that that should be evident in a Christian's life because they have now been washed, they have been robed and clothed, they have a relationship with God. So today we're going to talk about the third step in the ceremony. And if you'll go to Leviticus chapter 8, 
and verse 10. And that says, And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. So what is the next step after being washed and robed? What's the next step that it tells us here? Anointing. So they were anointed. Not only the priest. In fact, it actually starts out that everything they're going to be using in their ministry to God, everything inside the tabernacle, because that's what it says, he anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein. Remember our tabernacle drawing we've had? All of the different areas, all of the different things that were anointed, So the priests have been washed and Aaron has been clothed. But guess what? The other priests are not clothed yet. And Moses takes a breather for a second and leaves the priest and goes and anoints everything within the tabernacle. All of those vessels of worship that were inside of there from the Ark of the Covenant to the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the uh, candelabra to the laver to the brazen altar. I believe he probably anointed all of the coverings, all of the wood that he could get to, everything, because this was all for God's use. This was God's dwelling place. Remember, that's what the word tabernacle actually means, is God's dwelling place or a dwelling place, and it was God's tabernacle. So this was all anointed. Now that word anoint there, does anybody remember? We talked about the word anoint a couple of weeks ago. But does anybody remember what the word anoint means? Listen, it's Shirley over there. Anoint means to smear with a liquid or with oil. Think of an artist painting, or not even an artist, but if you're painting your house, you kind of rub your hand over it. You're making deliberate application of your liquid onto another surface. So you think about rubbing your hand over something. That's what that word anoint means. So he took, it says, the anointing oil. And remember, the anointing oil was made out of particular spices. It was made out of olive oil. It was all mixed together. It was not to be used or applied to anything that was not going to be made holy. We talked about that there were priests that were anointed. There were kings that were anointed when they were put into or when they were designated as a king. Saul was anointed. David was anointed. Others were anointed. Things were anointed. These could be considered things in God's dwelling place, all of the vessels of worship inside of the tabernacle. But it's interesting, there's some different words in this scripture this morning that I want us to pay attention to. Um, and I want some feedback from y'all as far as what you think might be the difference. So the first thing that 
Moses did is he went in and anointed all of the vessels in the tabernacle. He smeared them with liquid to anoint them for God's use. So your first three questions was what was the third step in the ceremony? It was anointing. The word anoint here means to smear with a liquid, to rub with oil. Think of painting. The next question is, what objects did Moses anoint first? What did he anoint first? Everything that had to do with the tabernacle. All of the vessels of worship there. Now verse 11 tells us, And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. So, your next question says, the altar was blank. It was different. What did he do to the altar? He anointed it seven times. He anointed it seven times. So, the, the altar got it. Sorry. Good morning. The altar got it seven times. There was something else that's here too because do you see a different word of an action that Moses took in that scripture? How did he do it seven times? He sprinkled. Yes. The altar was sprinkled. Guess what? That word sprinkled does not mean to smear with liquid. That word there means to spatter or to spurt. When I think of that, I think of dipping my hand down into something and flicking my fingers. And it's not a deliberate application, but it does spread. And it might go out even faster than rubbing your hand over something. Seven times it says that he sprinkled or he spattered with the anointing oil, the altar. Yeah. The altar is this part right here. The number seven in the Bible, does anybody know what that means? Perfection? It means completion. 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 think so. Okay, completion. Yeah. Seven is completion, and I can't spell. Think of how many days of creation. Mm -hmm. Seven. God saw that it was good. He was done. He rested. He changed his direction after he had completed creation in seven days. Think about the Battle of Jericho. They marched around six times. On the seventh day, they did it seven times. It was complete. The city fell. Think about Naaman. He's told to go dip in the Jordan River seven times for his healing. Mm -hmm. He received his healing after seven times. So, here we have 
Moses sprinkling. He's spattering it. He's spurting it. It's, it's not a, just a, a solid wipe over, but it's done seven times. So the first word we have that's used is anointed or anoint, and then we have the word sprinkle. Well, there's a third word that's used in this process of anointing the tabernacle and anointing the priest, and that's found in verse 12 of Leviticus chapter 8. And it says, And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So how does he apply the anointing oil to Aaron's head? He pours it. So this is like a flow of anointing oil. Turn to Psalms 133 and 2. Psalms 133 and 2. Mm-hmm. And someone read. like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments so here in the book of Psalms we are told that when Aaron was anointed that it didn't just hit his head it didn't just flow down to his beard it flowed down on his garments and there's differing commentators there on the garment they said there's two edges to the garment There's the neck, because that's where you would put it on. And then there's all the way to the skirt, to the floor. And different commentators believe different things as far as how far that oil went. But I'm thinking if God is setting Aaron apart as his priest, that it covered him in full. I think it went from head to toe. And what's so beautiful about that Psalm 133, uh, verse 2 and verse 1, it, it gives a, a reason why the precious oil is the, to dwell together in unity. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And if you think about that, um, when Aaron is anointed, who is he in unity with at that point? Moses and God. And God, Yes. There is a special relationship. Aaron is not just an Israelite. Aaron is not just a Levite. Aaron is not just Moses' brother. Aaron is not just a leader that the people looked up to. Now he has publicly been washed, robed and clothed. He has been anointed. It has been poured over his head and flowed down his body. And everyone has witnessed it. They know that Aaron has been set apart and has been sanctified to worship, to minister on their behalf in front of God, inside of God's dwelling place. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm. So, my question is, 
And I couldn't find anything where anybody shared their knowledge. But if it was important enough for Moses to write at God's direction that there were three different ways of anointing here, what is the significance? I did find one thing for how this poured over Aaron's head. We are told in John chapter 3 and verse 34 that Jesus was anointed or the Spirit of the Lord was on him without measure. In other words, he was complete, he was full. Uh, there was nothing lacking of the Spirit of God that dwelt in Jesus. Jesus was 100% man, but Jesus was also 100% God. But that he was anointed without measure. Now, Jesus is our high priest. We are told all through the book of Hebrews that we have a better covenant than the old method. That, we, that Jesus stands on our behalf as our high priest. Well, if Aaron was a high priest, or if Jesus is our high priest, and he has been anointed or full of the Spirit without measure, then maybe the fact that Aaron getting more anointing than even what happened to the articles of worship inside the tabernacle is the fact that it was a foreshadowing from him being a high priest to Jesus being our high priest. Does that make sense? It does, because you know the Lord does that with other characters in the Bible and other characteristics mm -hmm. of our Lord. Mm -hmm. So it would make sense. Yes, and everything about this process, everything about all of the articles and, and vessels of worship, everything points to something in the future. It, uh, yes. it applies to Jesus coming as the final sacrifice, the best sac sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would be needed. So it makes sense that this would look, or that Aaron being anointed and it flowing all the way over him as in fullness, that it would meet up with Jesus being our high priest and anointed without measure. But from there, I really didn't get anything. So I got to thinking about it. And when you go back to sprinkled, and spatter, meaning spattered or spurting, and that is the way that the altar, the brass altar, the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice was dedicated and sanctified. If this stands for the cross, because that's where the sacrifice took place, yes. then I think about how did Jesus' blood flow at the cross? I would think when he was crucified and the nails went into his hands and feet, yes, there was a flow of blood, but initially there was a spattering. There was a spurt of blood. Yes, there was something that would have come out as a rush and it would have come out and just flung. 
So that's what I picture in my mind, maybe is the difference here, the difference here. But I'm not sure about the smear with liquid for just the regular anoint. Because there were three different ways. Could that have been the beating before the cross? Could have been. And it could be that the smear was because of the extent of his injuries, that it was covering his body. But when this happened, when they got him to the cross, there was still blood that would spatter and spurt. And then there was still a flow once he was hanging on the cross that flowed down and touched the ground. Thank you, Donna. I don't think that it would be differentiated in the Bible if there wasn't some significance. Mm -hmm. Now, as to whether that's what it is, I don't know, but mm -hmm. no commentator came up with it that I could find anywhere. But when you just think of the points of where he, his blood was let out is what I was just thinking of. Mm -hmm. And the significances of those points. My goodness, that is so beautiful about the cross and the altar. And what's so beautiful, what you just said about the materials, the items are reverenced. They're prepared. They're set aside for the purpose of the Lord. But look at what man himself, that reflection of the Lord, mm -hmm. it has to go deeper. It has to be more significant. Mm -hmm. It can't be just as simple as the candlestick. Yeah. It was good for its time, yes. and it served a purpose. Yes. But it served a purpose in the foreshadowing that, hey, this is going to be an obsolete system mm -hmm. because it doesn't work completely. It will never remove sin. It covers sin, mm -hmm. but it never removes it. And it does reflect back on why all of this has even happened with the Lord. His, his love for us it goes back to man. Covered by the blood of the So I know there was a couple of your questions on your handout that we did not answer. I skipped over a couple of them. Number 18, it says, why is this important when it comes to the altar? As far as the way that it was anointed, I think it was because of this spatter and spurt, and it refers to the fact that Jesus was the ultimate final sacrifice. And that's the way that his blood was released when he was placed on the cross. And what is different about the anointing of Aaron it was because it was poured onto him and it flowed down his, uh, his garments, down his face, his beard, his garments. And Psalms 133 and 2 indicates that it did flow all the way down, even to the edge of his ropes. So what does oil signify in the Bible? Right. All represents the Spirit of God. However you want to word it, but that's what all signifies.
So we had talked when we first started talking about that this ceremony was going to anoint. We talked about the word anoint, consecrate, and sanctify is what God's uh, whole idea in having all of this done, this dedication. Uh, we talked about the fact that Jesus, when he went to the temple, in the book of Luke, it says that he read from Scripture. He read out of the book of Isaiah. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me, there's that word anoint again, to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's in Luke 4, 18 and 19. But we also talked about in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, and y'all will remember this when I say it, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. Mm. Do y'all remember what unction was? Command or a pushing? Does anybody remember? Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> remember we talked about that, and I said, now y'all know what that means. Yes. That word unctions mean unction means anointing. Remember now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I figured you would. <laughs> when I gave you the answer. That's fine. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. And it says, and ye know all things. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Skip down, if, if you're in 1 John chapter 2, if you happen to be, let's look at verse 27. First John 2 and 27. Okay, but it says here, okay, first off, we're told you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. And then it goes down to tell us, but the anointings which you have received of Him abides in you. That anointing lives inside of a Christian. A person that is in right relationship with God has received an anointing. It lives inside of you. It teaches you all things. That's why it says, and you know all things. You know it because it teaches you. It leads you into truth. It will expose lies. Mm -hmm. And it says, you shall abide in him. Mm -hmm. Remember we talked about the word tabernacle? 
actually means dwelling place? Well, guess what? Dwelling place means to abide. So this anointing abides within us and we are to abide in Him. We are to stay under that anointing, in that anointing, in that relationship to continue to grow. Now, look at verse 28 of that chapter. And it says, And now, little children, abide in Him. Abide in Him. Dwell in God. Live in God. Live in the promises of God. Live in the Word of God. Live in the knowledge of God. That, when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. That leads me to something. And Joseph asked me, he goes, how in the world did you get from anointing of the tabernacle and the priest to the story of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25? I said, I don't know, but it went there. So, <laughs> but it should be a natural progression. <laughs> so, we are about out of time today. We really don't, I don't want to get into it, but let's, we'll start because the bell has not rung yet. Go to Matthew chapter 25. I'm sure all of you are familiar about the parable of the ten virgins, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. It's a rather interesting story. But let's start. It starts in verse 1. And it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now back in those days, a Jewish wedding was a major ordeal. We think they're major now, and you have to have all of this stuff. Um, it was even more so back then. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. I actually have it on video. If you want a, a presentation, I have a beautiful presentation of how it reflects back on Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can show it if you want. Yeah. Wow. What starts is engagement. Yes. A formal agreement is made between the fathers. The father of the son or the groom and the father of the bride. The groom and the bride are not involved at all. But it is between the fathers. It is an engagement. They have a betrothal. And it's a ceremony where they make promises to each other. Yes, I will agree to marry your son. Yes, I will agree to marry your daughter. But guess what happens after that? The bride goes home to her family. The groom goes home to his family. Ball rights, they're married. They're not supposed to be with anybody else. They're not supposed to fall in love with anybody else. This is a covenant agreement. But not consummated. Not consummated. Just an agreement. Yes. 
We have agreed to do this. Word only. Yes and yes. yes. Well, the bride goes home to her family and she waits for the bridegroom to come. The groom goes home to his family and he's busy. In is supposed to be a year's time. He is to go and prepare a place for the bride at his father's house. They would build on a room. He would prepare it for his bride. Everything would be there. So when he went to go get her, she would come live with him at his father's house in their special place, their special room. So even though they knew this time period was going to be about a year because it would take that long to get everything together, the bride never knew exactly when the bridegroom was coming. So we'll stop there and continue next week. Uh, Oh, exactly. Repeat that, Jeanette. Yes. The bride had to be ready at all times. Does that sound like anything that we should be familiar with? Wedding is a because we are his bride. Yes. yes, that's how it all works out. But it's interesting about this story. Read the rest of the parable in Matthew 25, and we will talk about it next week. Because remember, they're all virgins, there's 10 of them. They're not the bride, but they're the bridesmaids. And they're all there for the same reason. Yes, they're all there for the same reason. They're all virgins, which means they are all pure. They are not defiled. Mm -hmm. But still. But just go from there. So, uh, yeah, read. (laughs) Donna already knows because she has insight. Um, so let's have a word of prayer before we go upstairs. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these students that are so diligent to your word, Lord, that apply it, that study it, that read it, that chew on it. Lord, couldn't ask for any better. And I pray special blessings and favor upon their lives, Lord, that their needs will be met and supplied and that they will receive um, extra and abundant from you this week, Lord. I praise you for the word that we get, Lord, for the foreshadowing of, of the old system and the old way, but that it was going to be such a better way once Jesus came and that there was the promise of the Messiah and a promise of total forgiveness from sin and a way to walk in victory. Lord, thank you for everything that you did for us, that you loved us before we were born, that you loved us with all of our mistakes and our failures and our faults. You saw all of that, you knew it, and you loved us anyway. Lord, thank you for all of your promises. Lord, help us to stand on them, to grasp hold of them, Lord, and to be ready for you. 
Help us as we prepare for next week, Lord. Open our eyes to your scripture and give us insight into your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And you is dismissed. Isn't it amazing how alive the word is? Oh my goodness.